This is Mental Radio, where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. I'm your host, Jesse Zuckman. In the show today, we are talking about my experience with EMDR. I get asked a lot about EMDR. Um, a lot of people have seen it, talked about online because it helps a lot of people. So people will say, oh, you're not feeling good. Take Try EMDR. So uh, a lot of people ask me about it. And um, one of my Twitter mutuals, Monica, uh, recently asked me about it. So I said, hey, Monica, why don't you just write me some questions about EMDR? Yes, it's been great. It's changed my life. But before I get too into the details, why don't you write it down? Write down your questions so then I can answer and we can turn it into a podcast. And then, uh, you know, everybody who wants to know can know. So uh, thank you so much. Um to Monica, I'm happy to talk about EMDR. It's been one of the most important things I've done um, in my recovery work, and I'm stoked to share my experience um, with it. That said, before we get too deep into it, like everything, um, just because something works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Don't change anything you're doing with your mental health care plan based on anything we're talking about, and don't delay in getting care based on anything we're talking about. Patient experiences are really uh, important. I, I think uh, I wish I had access to them more when I was uh, first um, starting this journey. That said, nothing I'm saying replaces getting medical advice. It's not medical advice. It's not medical care. It's just my experience. Um, so with that out of the way, EMDR, what the hell is EMDR? Maybe you never heard of EMDR. Well, EMDR, from the Wikipedia, is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, it says, EMDR is a foam form of psychotherapy developed by Francine Shapiro in the 1990s, in which the person being treated is asked to recall distressing images. The therapist then directs the client in one type of bi bilateral sensory input, such as side-to-side -side eye movements or hand tapping. It is included in several evidence-based guidelines for the treatment of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. It has been controversial. Critics have argued that the eye movements in EMDR do not add to its effectiveness, and multiple meta-analysis has found it to be just as effective as trauma-focused CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, for PTSD. These findings are tentative and given the low numbers in the studies and high risks of researcher bias. Who cares? I mean, I think, is that a bad thing that it works as well as uh, CBT? CBT works pretty well. I'm glad to see EMDR works pretty well. I don't, some, it is, everybody in uh, trauma, in the trauma therapy world seems to think that they have it figured out. And what their thing does is the thing for everybody. It's really kind of strange. The more I study more trauma therapies, the more I see how similar they are. So with that said, um, EMDR, it is it uses your eyes. You think of uh, something that happened to you recently, and then you bat your eyes back and forth. You follow a light bar, and there's a light that goes side to side. You follow it with your eyes, and you think you do. You think of a distressing image. And you're really able to be with and process things that happened in your past that maybe you didn't even know were distressing. So, um, yeah, for me, when I do EMDR, I work with a therapist. Um, we work together in therapy for, I think, a couple of months, maybe at least a month, um, just getting to know her um, before 
I, uh, before we did EMDR and when we would do EMDR, she would ask me to choose something that, that really freaked me out that week. Um, and, uh, you, so you would think about that. So for an example, one thing I worked on is like getting stern emails. I used to have panic attacks around getting emails and anytime I'd have a client or someone in a position of authority in my perception, um, wrote me just a direct email, I'd very often freak out and ruminate and not be able to sleep at night. So, you know, I'd bring that up and say, okay, what is it? Uh, what, what do you feel? Or, you know, um, you know, I would feel scared and, and panicked. Um, and then they would ask, she'd ask, what do you say about yourself? And when that happened, I would say about myself, um, lazy and worthless. That's kind of what I do around bosses. So I'm like, um, someone's, my boss is not in a great mood. I'm going to pick it up and work really hard and just always in a really panicked, panicked, but like gritting my teeth panic. Like, uh, I'm, I've got it all under control, but on the inside, I'm just, just what's out, totally out of control. So, um, so then you, you think about that, you watch the lights and then something strange happens. It's almost like a psychedelic experience where you're brought into the thing that happened and you see the thing that happened. For me, I would see it in a uh, kind of a white, black and white wireframe. And, um, and it would be in like very three-dimensional where I would have these sweeping camera views. I would start with where I am and it would immediately go into my past. And I would see all around the childhood house I was in and I would see everything in the house and where it happened. And then I would see where, you know, something really similar to that event happened, maybe with my father or something. And then from that, I would go and think about something that happened you know, with my bosses growing up and, 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 and different situations I would be in, I thought about, um, you know, specifically for that one, I remember being kind of channeled into the sexual harassment situations because that I dealt with, I was around a lot of gay bosses in the, uh, when I was like 17, 18, 19, like that. And they weren't so cool with me. Um, but you know, like with anything trauma, trauma is like, it's confusing. It's things that are, you don't quite know what to make of it, right? So things get kind of fuzzy and you can't process the emotions. So I never processed the emotions of being harassed by these sleazy guys who were five times my age at this time. Not five, well, that'd make them a hundred, but they were in their 60s, 70s, you know? like. But, you know, I thought I was a cool guy, so liberal, I could deal with that, right? It's no problem. You could try to get me in the bed. I'm, I'm a cool, liberal Jewish kid from Long Island, right? You could totally be scum, be a scumbag to me in my internships, right? I'll never, but, you know, that was, that, so that's an example. So then it ends up there, but then it goes to all these different things. You don't just think about the one thing. You think about all the, how all of it's related and how you that all kind of had that same feeling and then you sit there and you process and you just kind of be with it. And then the next day and the next session, you talk about it. And that's all there is to it. Um, it was really difficult the first few times. Anyway, so let's, uh, I don't want to say difficult. It wasn't difficult the first few times. It was very, uh, I, I was kind of shocked of how visual it was the first two times. And it was hugely insightful. But anyway, I digress. Let's get to Monica's questions. 
Um, so Monica says she's dealing, coming from a place of CPTSD, which we can, uh, many people, or at least from my understanding, also it means complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which also very often means, to my understanding, childhood trauma. Um, she says that she's, uh, wants to heal her trauma and get control over her body and her life. Um, and she knows that she needs to do all these things like meditation and nutrition, but she can't do them because she's still having a traumatic response. Um, and she needs a deeper in intervention. Um, first off the bat, holy crap, Monica, do you have some good insight if you were, you know, jumping into this journey? Um, I had no idea when I started this, that this is how it would work. Um, but this is exactly how it worked. You know, once I was able to stop panicking all the time, it's hard to live in a life of intention. It's hard to do the things that take care of yourself when you're panicking all the time. It's hard to cook. It's just time isn't the same. Your planning abilities aren't the same. Um, EMDR made it so I could think a lot clearer, plan a lot better. I really acknowledge you for understanding that. You know, you do know that there are things that are going to work for you, um, but you can't do them. That's ex this, this was my experience. But when I started, um, I didn't know all the other things were going to work for me. I was just kind of throwing darts uh, at a wall, you know, and seeing what sticked. And uh, but yeah, it seems like you have a very good understanding of how all of this works, at least how it worked for me. So. That's really interesting. So what made me want to try it? So I, I, I went to, I tried EMDR because I had um, this kind of, kind of undiagnosed chronic illness. I did, I did receive a chronic fatigue diagnosis. I had been prescribed a dozen medications for years and they all made me worse. And then with the, when I was going off benzodiazepines, it had already been a couple of years or at least a year off benzodiazepines and I was still dealing with random muscle twitching, severe weakness. I couldn't keep my head up. I couldn't even, I couldn't even sit like I'm sitting here. If you're watching this on video, I couldn't sit like this for more than five minutes because my head would feel so heavy that I would have to lay down. I would have to be horizontal. And I was like that for years and years and years. And some doctors had some ideas, but not a clear idea. So I heard maybe this has something to do with trauma. So I decided to try it. Um, I don't think it was a direct link, but I do think being able to de-stress really has helped my immune system. It's helped my recovery in a lot of different ways. It's not a cure for chronic fatigue syndrome. A lot of spoonies online get, well, did you try trauma therapy? Why don't you, why don't you go do yoga? Why don't you do trauma therapy? And it's not, it's not a cure for, for, um, EMDR is not a cure for chronic fatigue, even though, uh, there's a lot of, uh, wine moms, uh, and dads who seem to think so on Twitter. It doesn't work that way. But I will say if you're a spoonie and you can get to EMDR who, with somebody who knows what they're doing, de-stressing is awesome and important because we walk around with a lot of stress um, because a lot of us, I mean, I felt really guilty for being sick for a long time. And uh, EMDR really helped me cope with that and get over it and get through it. So what made me want to try EMDR is uh, is Monica's first question. And yeah, trying to get a handle on my chronic illness really was it. Um, but, and it was really just kind of a hope that it might do something because um, 
I was really desperate to get better. So I was willing to try anything. I didn't really think it was necessarily going to do anything. I was just open to try something. And um, my psychiatrist, who's amazing, one of the best psychiatrists in the country, um, suggested it and knew a person. So that's that. Um, Monica's second question, how often did you have an EMDR session weekly or every other week? How long did you do therapy? So I had been in therapy for several years off on and off. I probably had several hundred hours of therapy since I got sick in 2011, started doing th uh, EMDR two years ago, 2017. And so I'd done a lot of therapy. Um, and I, I kind of had one foot out of therapy, to be honest, before this, because I couldn't really see what the hell is going on. And once I was in EMDR, I kind of saw the landscape um, of violence that I grew up in. And I don't use that word lightly. I mean, like, literally violence. <laughs> like, there's a lot of criminal and sketchy stuff around in my background that I kind of just blocked out. Um, I had a, I had a, uh, a grade school teacher who committed suicide because he was found with... Um, child pornography. Um, we had, uh, I don't, just some nasty stuff. We had, you know, protests, violent protests, violent, direct action growing up, scummy people around. There was just a lot of nasty stuff that wasn't even in my household that I kind of forgot about. And then it was able, it was uh, allowed me to really figure out what the childhood neglect piece was for me. So it made things like really more clear of what my issues were. Although I had been in therapy before and kind of had an idea, maybe this was going on. EMDR really crystallized what I had to work on. It was very helpful in that way. So I did do therapy before. I think we started with four sessions maybe of talk therapy. Maybe it was eight. I don't remember. It was some a significant amount of time getting to know my therapist and building that trust. And, uh, and then it was like, we would do one EMDR session and then one week, and then the following week we would talk about it and then do EMDR and then talk about it. And I would say all in all, I probably did about 10 sessions. Um, after the initial period, I needed them a lot less. I made a lot of progress up front and then it would be slower, but then more profound. So, uh, uh, it's hard to say I haven't done it in a while, but that's about how the pacing went really intense at first. And then it kind of eased up and um, kind of pe peeling those layers a little with a little bit more uh, specificity, specif, specific, specificness, is specificness a word? Because I can't say specificity, specificity, really? Am I doing that? Anyway, I'm used to being a documentary guy. I'm allowed to mispronounce words. I'm, I don't like being a host. I really don't. For this very reason, because I have a learning disability. So there, you just saw it. I can't pronounce all the words. Uh, I like asking questions off camera, just for whatever it's worth. Anyway, that said, number three, Monica asks, did they use lights, eyes? Uh, did you you know follow the light with your eyes or have handheld sensors uh, for bilateral stimulation? So the theory in EMDR is that it's some, you dart your eyes back and forth, and some people theorize that it somehow, uh, you know, it's like it's like REM sleep where you're like processing your day in sleep. I don't know if that's true. Some people get really hung up on it on the internet. Um, there's like a group of skeptics who hate EMDR and they say it's not real because the eye movement thing isn't doesn't work. Who gives a shit? I don't. 
I don't know. It might just be like a hypnosis thing. It might be distraction. I don't know. Anyway, the what my therapist used was um, a light bar on a tripod with a green light that dashes side to side. And uh, it looks like a $50 thing you'd get from Alibaba. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, we use a light bar. I really don't know if the... If you ask my personal opinion, I don't think, I think any distraction would probably do the same thing. Um, and I don't care. It's fine. It definitely does the job. Um, I, you know, I thought it was kind of a hypnosis thing. Um, you know, with the lights going back and forth. But then when I talk to more and more people that did different types of trauma therapy, they, they very often have the same experience with the three dimensions and the wireframes. So it might just be a human brain thing that you do when you, you know, process traumatic memories. I don't know. And that's uh, not that that's totally your question, Monica. I apologize for going on a tangent. But hey, you're asking a bipolar Jewish boy from Long Island uh, question. So eh, they might uh, go, uh, they might go astray a little bit. Thank you for understanding. Um, number four, how did you know that EMDR was working or that it was effective? Um... I really got to think about this. Um, well, number one, the insights were huge right off the bat, right? Because like I'd been to therapy for so long and then all of a sudden I could see what the hell I was really working with. So like it really, so that really crystallized um, my therapy. So before like I felt any physical um, changes in my body or my stress, boom, I knew I just knew my therapy was going to be a lot more powerful because it was a lot more focused. Um, and eventually, yeah, my panic response went way down and I was able to like be a lot smarter. That process has really happened over the last two years. Um, and uh, she said, she asked number five, how long um, until you noticed an impact on your thoughts or behavior? I don't remember. To be honest, I think it was kind of gradual. I think there was like a certain relief up front and then it was kind of gradual. And then this last spring, after being in therapy for a year and a half, I really got to this new place of self-mastery. Um, the moment that I that really changed, like for real, where I knew I was in a completely different space and I was not going back was this past spring, we had construction outside my house. And if I have construction outside my house, like a lot of people with traumatic pasts, we have hyperacusis, we have sensitive sound, sensitivity to sound, we jump out of our skin. And if there's a big construction truck, you could forget about sleeping, um, you know, if they're doing that during the hours that you're sleeping. So, and then dealing with the chronic illness stuff, if I didn't sleep well, I got sick and my mood was a mess, it was a mess. So I found, uh, my family let me use their cabin uh, in the woods, and, and I had to, like, pick up my life in a few days and moved into the woods. I was very stressed out. I was panicked, and I was suicidal. And um, I was there, and this wasn't in the EMDR, and I was out of therapy, too, because I had to leave, right? So I was in this cabin, and I was suicidally f anxious, and I was looking for a weapon to hurt myself with, to end my life. No joke. And honestly, if I would have found it, and there might be a gun in that place. I think there probably is. Um, thank God I didn't, there wasn't one, at least that I could find. Maybe my family got him out of there. I don't know. Um, 
but I was in this state of panic and self-harm and self-hate and um, just coming totally unhinged. And I was in the shower and I just thought, okay, what did I learn in EMDR? I learned how to really just be with my emotions. And if I could be with my emotions, I can move through them. Let me try that with this feeling right now. And in the shower, I just held on to that panic and that upset and that helplessness and that fear. And I felt it for three minutes straight as intensely as it existed in my body. But instead of ruminating or try to escape it, I just, I was just making, I just, I just allowed it. And it felt really intense for three minutes. And after that, I felt fine again. And at that moment, I knew something had changed because I had been given a tool that I realized it wasn't just at EMDR, I can do this. And it really, really taught me that I could feel my feelings and people, you know, it's an old cliche, feel your feelings, right? Like we tell little children, but as adults in recovery, feeling your feelings, you know, can be having those intense panic, self-harm feelings, and being able to process them in real time and come out the other side quickly. Um, so that's when I knew it was really effective. I knew I was glad I did it that whole time, but at that moment I knew it had changed my life forever. Um, the sixth, were the results subtle over time or could you feel changes in your brain right away? I don't know. Again, like the first thing that I remember as I started EMDR was just the shock of how visual it was. And then, oh my God, I grew up <laughs> in a lot of, in some ways I grew up in a horror show, you know, that was really, uh, the impression. Um, it wasn't immediate relief. I was like, Oh my God, that was intense. Uh, and then the next time it wasn't so intense. And then I would say over the period of the first few months, there was some relief and then bigger, bigger ripples after that. Monica asks, how did your process, how did processing your trauma impact your recovery and how did it improve your life? Did it impact the other components of your recovery regimen and make them easier to do? Yeah, your insight is incredible. Absolutely, this is the case, Monica. Um, it had a huge impact. It saved my life possibly in that moment, right, that I just um, described. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, you just have a lot more mental space to do all of the other things when you don't have that kind of reaction to things that don't make to like everyday stimulus, right? I'm not going to say I'm a hundred percent neurotypical now. I still deal with stuff. I still can't deal with really loud noises. Um, I'm not going to a monster truck show. I'm not moving to New York City tomorrow. Uh, that said, um, I'm able to do a lot more and I feel like maybe I, you know, now I can see maybe there is a future where I don't have these kind of, uh, trauma reactions. But yes, um, as far as self care stuff, if you're dealing with trauma and freaking out all the time, like I was, it's hard to, it's hard to do all the things. Um, how did I know I was done with EMDR therapy? Uh, Monica asks, 
Uh, I don't know I'm done with EMDR therapy. I love my therapist. I see her not do, I don't do EMDR. I haven't done EMDR with her in a while. Um, a lot of times now we'll write out that sheet that I described in the, in the beginning if I have like a trauma response to something. And now we'll write it down. We'll do like the EMDR protocol. We write it down, say where I feel it in my body, what I made up about myself, emotions, all of that. And then I go home and I'll meditate on that for those two weeks because now I go every other week. I meditated on those for two weeks and then I can do that processing at home like I did in that shower the first time. So, um, but would I do it in the future? Sure. And, you know, if some if, if something happened, if I had a, you know, a traumatic car accident or something happened that I couldn't totally process, yeah, I would do it again. Um, and, you know, my therapist isn't just EMDR. So um, I work with her to, to kind of plan my life now and, build these intentional pieces of my life now instead of, uh, you know, just um, reacting and like trying to manage symptoms acutely, which is a much different thing. But that's what I use my therapist for now. It's, it's, a, it's a lot different. Um, I did think about quitting a couple of times, um, but I'm really glad I didn't because it's really helpful to have the support when you're starting to live intentionally after living reactively for so long. Monica asks, in the end, did healing your trauma clear out the flight, fr fl flight and freeze response so you could get on with your life? Did that response stop overriding your rational thought process and ability to make good decisions? Um, Again, Monica, you really know what you're talking about. Um, it's it just, it's always so striking how we all have the same, <laughs> at least for me, like I feel like I'm the only one walking around with these experiences. And then like I talk to patients all week and it's like, I, I feel like I have nothing unique to say. And even your insights, like, you know what's happening here. Only we don't, like, we don't really acknowledge that, do we? Um, I wouldn't say clear out. I would definitely say I am still more tightly wound than the average person, certainly more tightly wound than the average person in Seattle who is chilled out, man. It's cool. I'm still neurotic, you know, um, but I am able to make much better decisions. I can think through strategies. Um, the thing I'm working on now is having more positive reactions to adversity um, where I can, I can solve confrontation more gracefully. Um, it used to be that if, you know, the, I, I used to be really good at charming people. If I they had something I wanted, like in documentary production, if I wanted to get an interview or access, I charmed my way, you know, into the Russian mafia, into, you know, into, uh, into behind the scenes at the Olympics. I wasn't supposed to be, but I charm my way into that. I mean, just day in and day out, my job was charming people saying, no, you can't do your job today. And to be like, they'd say, send Jesse, he'll go figure it out. And I'd figure out a way to, to deal with adversity that way. Um, but if it was someone who had, was critical of me or confrontational, I would do the other thing, which would be to freeze and then just eat my all my emotions and be like, I'm totally together, but I'm not together um, and then just blame myself and be really nasty uh, to myself. And now I'm realizing that I have options. Um, 
I can still charm people even when they're being confrontational with me to put them at ease. Um, I can express myself if it's a relationship that where uh, that's appropriate. Um, you know, I can uh, I can do all kinds of different things. So that's that's actually the work I'm doing right now. But I would still say. I'm more reactive than the average person. I would also say that I'm probably 80% less reactive than I was five years ago. Um, and I do make much better decisions and I'm able to be a lot more present. Number eight, um, she says she wants to mention she has a friend. Monica had a friend um, that had EMDR, that used EMDR and uh, she had uh, no results because the therapist didn't know what she was doing or what they were doing. Um, my assumption is that your therapist helped you set up positive resources for when you went into your trauma and also helped soothe and calm your protectors before going into trauma too. It's no joke going into the subconscious and it can be easy to be re-traumatized. I'm not sure if that's important stuff to talk about. Um, so people do their research and find a highly qualified EMDR therapist if they're going to do it just a thought. Of course, it's a good idea. Um, my therapist came from a psychiatrist who's amazing, who I trusted. Um, I think when you're dealing, I've had so many bad therapists that I do think it's really important. I can't even imagine if some of the bad therapists that I've had who've just been total sleazeballs or aloof weirdos, um, if they were doing this work, it would be a total disaster. So I do think it is a completely a valid point to get a good referral from someone you trust who's been through it um, or get a referral from somebody who, you know, a referral from a referral. So, yeah, if you have a friend in your area who knows a great therapist, you know, maybe they know someone personally who does EMDR. And that's probably, you know, that's that's a decent bet that that person's going to be all right. Um, uh, my therapist did not set up any positive resources for me, um, and I don't know what soothe and calm your protectors uh, means, really. Um, I felt really safe with my therapist before I did this. So I didn't, you know, she did do an exercise where, you know, you return to your, uh, you know, you visualize a safe space, um, but really her office was like as safe as anywhere else I could imagine from my past. So um, I guess my take is it really, you know, that was a big piece of why it worked because I could trust this person. I do think it makes sense to like do a bunch of therapy with them before you do EMDR. Um, but, you know, for me, I do think it's like was my, the EMDR work was way less stressful than my traumatic responses to other stuff. Like if someone, you know, if someone uh, bumped into me on the street and that, you know, reminded me of childhood abuse, that reaction was 10 times whatever was in the couch in EMDR. I don't know if that's true for everyone. That's, you know, uh, that, that was just my experience, um, but certainly something to talk about with your therapist if that's a concern. Um, I just don't know the answer if that's how it is for most people. Um, nothing ever felt really present for me, right? Like, And the thing that I realized is that for me, my reaction to the stimulus was always worse than the actual emotion that I was um, 
kind of hiding from or deflecting by having a freak out, right? Like I would, when I was at my worst and I was on all the meds or coming off meds, I was an emotional wreck. I was crying. I was raging. I was, I was messed. I was not, I was not an okay person. Um, and a lot of that action was to cover up not wanting to be present with those feelings from my past. Um, once I was with someone who was really cool and a healing and a healer and a good person who just wanted to sit with me um, and just kind of experience these things with me, uh, I didn't have that kind of, I guess that's what you're talking about with the protectors. I didn't feel that with her. I didn't feel like I had to protect myself from her or the situation. Um, and I think that's, for me at least, that's kind of the cruel joke is that, you know, we, at least I can act out and, and, and panic not wanting to feel these feelings that, let's be honest, they're not comfortable, but the upset, the rage, the the panic is all worse. You know, feeling the feelings of um, mourning, of loss, of of real embarrassment, of shame. Uh, those are all not good feelings, but you know, for me, they're all much better than dealing with, um, you know, the fallout of things that I would use to cope with them, if that makes sense. So I imagine that's not true for everybody, but that's how it was for me. Thank you so much, Monica, for the great questions. Um, if you have a question, feel free to DM me at Twitter at Zookman at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N. Um, or reach out to us over at mentalhealthmedia.org. While you're there, if you'd like to support the project, um, you can receive a tax deduction for supporting the GoFundMe. Um, if you uh, if you donate more than fifty bucks, we're gonna say a thank you. If you donate for less than uh, fifty bucks, we'll probably thank you anyway. Um, on the podcast. I just like thanking everybody. And I don't think anybody's too salty if they gave more money that somebody else got a thank you. And so did they. But that person, I just, I think, I think everybody likes thank yous, right? And at the end of the podcast, it's all the hardcore fans that are listening anyway. So um, you can make a donation on the, on the, on the site there. You can send us a message if you have questions about any of the things that I know about. If you have questions about meditation, transcendental meditation, nutrition, uh, getting in shape as a 39-year-old man, um, childhood neglect, childhood abuse, trauma, therapy, um, naked cats, cat therapy, um, uh, Al-Anon, adult children of alcoholics, documentary production, television direction, starting a career in television. What else do I know about? I don't know. Those are most of the things I know about. Benzodiazepine withdrawal. If you have questions about my experience with that, you could ask me that. So yeah, send me an email, drop me a DM, check me out on Twitter, and feel free to to ask questions. I love uh, I love getting these kinds of emails because um, I'm interviewing patients all the time, and uh, it's great to have somebody ask me some questions. Um, 
all of the answers that I've found from just about everyone I've talked to has gone from being in hell to thriving. We all have really similar responses. With things we do are a little bit different, but we all have uh, really similar responses. Um, so it's awesome to amplify and add my own two cents into everybody that we're interviewing. Um, that said, I guess we'll wrap it up. Um, this podcast is executive produced by our new executive producer, A.V. Flocks, who's helping us make this content for the next few months. Thank you to A.V. Um, podcast also brought to you by Tom Trottier, uh, Tamara Broadhead, and Pat Mohan, and then all of our GoFundMe supporters, Ivan M., Phil A., Patricia M., Ella, uh, it's my stepsister, I better not mispronounce her first name, Lauren B., Colin F., Marilyn S., Alex B., The Smo, Cass G., and Sean D., Jim E., Stuart M., David L., uh, Judy B., Stephen J., Malik S., Nelson P., Stacy H., Patrick L., Stephanie P., Aaron V., Tim W., Handy H., Jean A., Rosie P., uh, Bob S., Jackie M., Sophia M., John P., Franklin G., and Chip N. Nads. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the GoFundMe. Um, yeah, like I said, we have funding for the next few months, but we have so much that we want to bring you. We have so much good work uh, we want to do for you folks. So if you've got uh, a few extra shekels, throw a few shekels in the hat so we can keep going and uh, make this project uh, a sustaining enterprise. Um, like I said before, anything that works for me is not necessarily going to work for you. That's kind of the whole modus operandi of self-care. We all need to find what works for us, and I'm not a medical uh, practitioner. I, I want to go to therapy school, but I'm not there. Um, I would love to be a mental health care professional, but I'm not there. All I know is my experience and all of these wonderful patients that I'm talking to. So um, you, if you're going to make any changes whatsoever, you need to talk to your mental health care provider. And um, nothing is a, is, a, is a replacement. Nothing on the podcast is a replacement for therapy. So um, or, or, or medical advice. So really, and I really mean that you can't just self-diagnose. You can't just self-treat. Self-care is not about those things, at least when you're dealing with a severe mental illness. Maybe if you're like, you know, you feel a little funky and you just want to hype it up, that's fine. But if you suspect that you're really dealing with something, you got to talk to a real healthcare professional. Um, that said, thanks for everybody, uh, for listening. Um, I think I've plugged my Twitter enough, but it's at Zookman, at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N. That's where I post and hang out all the time. If you want to get in touch with me, it, my DMs are open. Send me a message. Um, if you'd like me to make one of these videos or something you're interested in, just give me a shout, and we'll make it happen as long as it's something I know about and something I haven't covered before. Um, and you've got some good questions. Um, that said, be good to each other out there. Check in with each other. Be good to yourselves. Make space for whatever you need to feel. Wherever you are on this path, there's no right answer. If you're still stuck on first base, hey, you're on first base. If you just know that you're, a, if you know that there's issues that you're dealing with and you're on first base, I applaud you for being on first base. I don't know a lot about baseball, 
but I'm pretty sure uh, if you're a guy that gets on first base a whole, bo- a whole bunch, or gal, or everybody else, um, I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, that's successful. So wherever you are in this path, wherever you are on this journey, um, please just you know that's all good. You're on the path is the important part. And uh, yeah, we're all here for each other. We'll get there together. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Zygazant. See you next time. Thank you.